Hey, listeners, this is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas. This is Talk With Me. And today it is only early June, June 5th, 2018 to be exact. And I'm kind of looking forward a few months to October. And you'll find out why I'm saying that this very day. But there's always so much going on. And there's a huge thing going on in Kansas City in October, specifically the weekend of the 12th through the 14th. That is the Kansas City Fountain Verse Small Press and Poetry Fest. This is an amazing thing that happens. This is the newest incarnation of something that started as the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown. It's getting bigger and bigger. It's it's amazing what's going to be happening this year. And today in this episode of Talk With Me, this is a chance to meet one of the people who is going to be featured at Fountainverse, both with the press, CWP Collective Press, CWP for Cringeworthy Poets. So I want to welcome from all the way from Buffalo, New York, <laughs> Nathaniel William Stolfi. Hey, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. So you are there in Buffalo, New York, but you also mentioned when we were talking before we started that you're going to be in the Midwest for actually a long stint doing a few different things. So lots going on to talk about Fountain Verse, the press, your poetry so much. And I always like to start with my guest saying a little bit about you. So so what are some highlights of who you are in June 2018? Uh, let's see. I am a 36-year-old, almost 37-year-old Leo, who is a, uh, <laughs> a baccalaureate student at Buffalo State College in the secondary English education program which is sort of um, ivory tower talk for, I want to teach the kids the English. And um, in <laughs> <laughs> next semester in August, I will be student teaching at a local middle school and a local high school here in a second and third ring suburb of Buffalo. Cool. I um, am a uh, poet and a small press publisher. I'm a son uh, and a brother and all those other human things that we have when we have, uh, like amiable relations with our, <laughs> our family. Uh, I like to, I like to travel. Um, I don't know. I like coffee and, uh, and poetry and conversation. I think I'm gregarious as, uh, I've been described and, um, that's, uh, that's what I got. So All right. So that's good. <laughs> so the personal ad for Nathaniel William Stolte says, <laughs> 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 I love that you're becoming a teacher. I, I think the the more poets in classrooms, the better. Amen. Yeah. I mean, that's the time youth need that, that demonstration that there are different ways to use our voices that can be so helpful. And we might even be able to turn some of that rage that we feel understandably at times into poetry that we can shout on the street corner or in the mic at a reading. And it can do some really good things for the audience as well as ourselves. I just think, man, the more artists in schools, the better. That's that's, that's wonderful. I, I agree with you. I couldn't agree more. I think yeah. that uh, now more than ever, we need um, compassionate and um, uh, empathetic people to help foster the, the young, the young next generation and the generation after that. Uh, yeah. And I, my aim is to teach middle school. I specifically like to teach uh, like seventh or eighth grade. Uh-huh. I think. That's that's a, a very important time in young people's lives. So. Yes. And that's a time when there's so much change and those youth deserve people who want to be with them during that time. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Uh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. I think we've all experienced in our own education and with youth who we know that, that, thing that happens when there are teachers who are long past their prime if they ever had one. 
I, I believe I was uh, had some teachers, like you just described, uh, attempt to teach me poetry when I was younger. So I filed poetry away yes. in one of those imaginary shelves uh, in my, my mind that poetry wasn't for me. It was, yeah. you know, rhyme and antiquated language and, and accessible and a riddle that I was too impatient uh, to punk rock to figure out. So. Yeah. It wasn't until I was older and I was in college that I was taught um, poetry by somebody, uh, you know, hopefully more somebody that teaches more like I will teach when uh-huh. uh, when I do somebody that it was impassioned and cared deeply about it. And um, and with that enthusiasm made me enthusiastic and used yeah. more contemporary poetry. Yes. The stuff yes. I could relate to more readily. Yeah. Yeah. So, had you been writing any anything of any kind of writing before college? Um, I had some journals, I guess, uh-huh. but not really. No, uh-huh. no, I I always wanted to, or like I've always read. I have a uh-huh. a reader's vocabulary, which I refer to as sort of a contextual vocabulary. Um, I know like what word to use in, in the right spot, but I couldn't necessarily define it without the context. So that's mm-hmm. what I mean by that. But uh, mm-hmm. so I've always read and I've always liked reading and um, fiction and science fiction and uh, fantasy and nonfiction, you know, things like that. But uh, it wasn't until I started writing poetry that I started writing outside of uh, curriculum. Mm-hmm. And what got you specifically to write poetry? Uh, well, I was in college. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been in undergrad for six uninterrupted years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this didn't just happen yesterday. Um, it was a, a few years ago, but by no means uh, a terribly long time, um, just several years. And um, I was in a place where I had never felt so broken. And mm-hmm. I found that if I was, that by writing some of what I was feeling and thinking out, uh, it made me feel better. So I, I believe that there's a healing quality to uh, poetry, and there's been some poets that have uh, influenced and affected me the most, I believe, also write uh, for the healing quality or healing nature of uh, poetry. Because mm-hmm. I don't believe all poetry is that, but I believe it mm-hmm. can be. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So who who are some of those people that have been really important to you and your development as a poet? Um. Mage Reagan uh, from Kent, Ohio, who just actually passed away uh, last month, um, uh, just a few short weeks ago, uh, was one. Um, Dorian Locks was another one. Um, uh, Noel Black is, uh, and when I first started reading Noel Black's work, I thought it was Noel Black, so I was very confused about uh, the nature of that individual. I thought it was uh, a woman. So some of the stuff didn't, some of the like writing didn't make a lot of sense, but with the, the nature of uh, gender today being more uh, accessible and um, but people had agency to talk about their gender and gender fluidity, I was like, oh, okay, this, uh, this person is uh, not sticking to one gender. And so uh, Noel Black was another one. And um, of course, there's some of the greats like... Uh, Gregory Corso and Lou Welch out of the uh, Beat Poets. Mm-hmm. How how did you find people? You know, do you, do you have a sense of how you got turned on to different people's works that became important to you? Um, well, I found I started buying chapbooks, and so like John Dorsey is another uh, a living poet who has uh, been very influential to me. Uh-huh. Uh, he I found some of his chapbooks at a local bookstore. And I, I bought them and I really, really liked them. And I've, I've read them over and over again and since found more and more of his work. But then I was able to, I emailed him because he put his email address on the, on the backs of his, you know, in his bio. Like he responds to uh, emails at archivist something at what, whatnot. I forget the, I forget it. I don't have it memorized. But, um, <laughs> and then he and I started forming a, a relationship and he's come and read in Buffalo and he's helped set up a, a couple summers ago, he helped us set up a tour and he went with us all the way to New Mexico. Uh-huh. And um, he's really opened up a lot of doors. He's been a, he's a powerful force in the, like, uh, 
small press, uh, you know, like street poet. Yeah. If you want to call it that, uh, yeah. community. Yeah. And he's uh, a powerful been... voice, literally too, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. When yeah. I had, uh, I had only read his work and spoken with him on the telephone, uh-huh. and then spent some time with him, and then he read at a local college, um, like three years ago, I think. I was blown away that, you know, he, it was so, um, like soft-spoken. And then, like you said, when he reads, it's very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So for those people who wonder what poetic voice is, listen to John and you'll get that reminder that there is not one poetic voice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's- I think it's important to find your own voice. That's yeah. something that I've, I've worked on it's like who and what I am and yeah. discovering who and what I am has yeah. been uh has been a, a great and uh important journey uh-huh and an evolving one you know literally that that the change that happens as your own experiences happen you know that as you go through your life and and people you're influenced by I remember I, I can't remember who it was that I was reading who who made this comment about people asking about how to find their their voice in terms of as a poet. And the response was basically keep reading, you know, that a big part of it is continuing to expose yourself to other people and and developing who you are. Not not as though you're copying somebody. It's not that, but but continue to to listen and read, uh, and that's so important. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I tend to do a, um, what I tend to do is I'll find a poet that I really like, and I'll like binge read everything I can get my hands on. Mm-hmm. Like one example of that is uh, William Taylor Jr. in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, I I found John Dorsey actually gave me one of his books, and uh, I, I was blown away by it. So I found more of them, and then I actually met him last year at the Kansas city throwdown. And then he came and read in Buffalo the following weekend, uh, or actually the following week after the throwdown last, uh, April. Mm-hmm. And then I read with him in San Francisco last summer at the beat museum. But after oh. binge reading all of his work that I could get my hands on, which he's been prolific for years. So I want to say it's like eight or 10 books mm-hmm. uh, of poems. I, I binge read them all. And then I noticed that, in my own writing had been influenced by his style of writing. And then that was a definitive moment for me because I looked back at some of my other writing and realized that I had binge read Mage Reagan's work and that there was some of his influence in some of my work in that time. And the same thing with John Dorsey and Noel Black and Frank Sanford and uh, mm-hmm. some of those, the other writer, Dorian Locks. And um, yeah. So that's something I've been trying to be mindful of is to not um, necessarily allow it to influence me so much. And although I don't know if that's right or wrong, really, maybe you could tell me, is that is it wrong to be so heavily influenced by someone that their style seeps into my writing? I love that, that your way is to continue to expose yourself to new writers, you know, and to really get immersed in them to really explore that. That sounds wonderful to me. You know, I think it's that difference between like going to a poetry reading that has several featured readers and having that that poet who comes in for their own time and then leaves (laughs) versus the poets who are there appreciating everything everybody does. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I have found that often uh, writers will lead me to other writers. Yeah. Like um, uh, Mae Dragon's work led me just very recently to Daniel Thompson, uh, Cleveland, uh, apparently the most well-known poet from Cleveland outside of D.A. Levy or Levy. I don't know how to say his name. Uh-huh. Um, and I just got uh, two of his books this past weekend when I was in Kent. And uh, I've been reading one of them. Uh, since I've been home. I just got back from, uh, spent a weekend in Cleveland and in Kent, oh, Ohio. Right. So does that mean you were hanging out with Diane Borsonek and John Burroughs? 
Well, they actually read here in Buffalo last night. I went to eat with them before the reading. Oh, that's right. They're uh, on the road. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I, I did see I did see Diane, but John Burroughs was on the road. Uh-huh. Uh, he was reading in New England. Uh, I saw Diane at um, there was a memorial service on Saturday for uh, Mage Reagan. Um, uh-huh. It was a very beautiful service, and uh, uh-huh. it was nice to see some of the people that, from the open reading at uh, Last Exit Books in Kent that Mage has been curating or hosting uh, for 35 years. Uh, it was uh-huh. at Brady's, and now it's at uh, Last Exit Books. I'm not sure what it'll be like now without uh-huh. Mage there, but I know that it will continue because that's the nature of this, that you know, we are pieces of a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. Yes. Yes. So tell us about Mage Reagan. Uh, he was from Illinois. Uh, by no means am I like a, you know, an expert historian on his work, but um, my experience was I was in, uh, I was in Max Backs and Suzanne, um, I, was, I was writing my first chapbook which I did for a school project, by the way, and the school published it, and it was it was great. Um, but I was doing research, right, like any good college student. I was like, well, I better read a bunch of poems if I'm going to write some poems uh, for this project. Uh, it was a three-credit class that didn't meet regularly. It was just like, produce these poems, and, and then we'll give you a grade. So uh, I was Suzanne, and I was like, what can you recommend? And she piled on all these books, like um, – uh, George Wallace, I believe, yeah. um, from New York, uh, Diane Borsnick, uh, Night LA Press book, uh, about buckles and Bible and, um, Mage Reagan's, uh, Burley One Dark Sucker Fired, his, his third, um, third collection, his third full length collection. He wrote a lot of chat books that I've not been able to find. Um, and I read, I read that book and I was blown away by it. So I, like I aforementioned, I, went on Amazon and I went to my local bookstores uh, and none of the local bookstores had any. So I went, went on Amazon and I bought his books. Uh, the, the other three that he had written at the time, he's written uh, another one since then. It just came out. Cloud's um, Piles in the North came out, I want to say five months ago or something. He just wow. had his last collection come out. But on the back of one of his books says that he ties his boat to the dock, to the back porch at uh, whatever this address is. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And I wrote a letter. I sent a letter off to that address uh-huh. to him with some poems and, you know, a little, like a little bit of fan mail for him. And he replied. So Ooh. I got, uh, I got a reply from him and we started having a relationship where he would, uh, he would kind of tell me some poets to look at. And then, so he told me to look at, he would say like, look at this poem, uh, the Chicago poem by, Lou Welch. It reminds me of the poem that you sent me. And then I would read that and I was like, Oh, that's a, that's a good poem. And I, then I looked at Lou Welch's work and that led me to, um, Gary Snyder. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I know like Gary Snyder is like a big name in the beat poetry, but I'd never read his work. I just heard his name. Mm-hmm. But so Mage would tell me poems to look at and, uh, authors. And then I, w- and they would lead me to other ones like, uh, mm-hmm. Rumi led me to, and Basho and, I know they're they're not necessarily related, but it was uh, it was like threads that I would follow, and um, I would go visit him out there. And he was a a great teacher and a very very generous man. He played the horses. He loved his family. <laughs> he um he had polio, so he was in a wheelchair by the time I got to know him. And um, I guess my biggest regret is that for this past year I've been putting off going out to Kent to see him because the school and work and, uh, you know, just like life is really demanding. And then, uh, and I knew he was, you know, he knew, I knew, you know, it wasn't a secret that his, he wasn't long for this world anymore. And, um, and then, you know, much like anything, I regret not, I regret not taking action. I regret not doing the thing. I very rarely regret the thing I did. I very often regret the thing I didn't do. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, Mage was a, a powerful force in the Kent community. He had a PhD from Kent State. He um, taught creative writing and poetry at Kent State. So I actually have a poem by him, if you're interested. Yes. 
Absolutely. It's the first poem in his collection, A Hungry Ghost Surrenders His Tackle Box. And um, I feel like it's apropos. Uh, the title is A List of Things to Do Around the House This Winter. Find my own way to belong to this world. Drown in what I do every day. Befriend old grief and kill it. Pick the lock of my rib cage and leave it open. Swallow hard and piss beautiful rust. Make my bed with the hopeful. Give my breath to the moon, to the river, to the men who sleep in their clothes, to the women who comb their belly hair and mark the trail home. Learn to cut stone with my tongue. Learn to do my own joy down to the bone. Become the wild, sweet freedom for which I yearn. Seek out the homely mother of beautiful blood who dances with the cold half moon. Remember not to leave this world without ceremony. Remember to look towards the sun after it is gone, to cry out when there is no one to listen. That's exquisite. Wow. I guess I've been thinking about the line in that, uh, remember not to leave this world without ceremony, because mm-hmm. I just came this weekend from the ceremony of his, uh, the, you know, memorial for the, for his life's work. And mm-hmm. it was a lot of, uh, emotions. It was so I, I recommend everyone reads Maj Reagan's work. Mm-hmm. The M-A-J, his first name was Major. Mm-hmm. So everyone just called him Mage. Yeah, that that poem that you shared is certainly one to inspire people to read more. That's that was so beautiful. And and it's interesting to me that with with uh, both John Dorsey and Mage Reagan, you mentioned that in their books there was a comment in in John Dorsey's. It was his email included with his bio or whatever in the in the back mm-hmm. of the book. And with with Mitch Reagan, it was this note about where his boat is tied up, and that that you you use those opportunities, and those people responded. You know that that they put that information out, and they were definitely willing to to interact with people with you as somebody who was serious about their work and his own. That's that's really cool. I think that that's so important. Um, they. They were both great, commu- they are, I should say, Mage was and John Dorsey is great community builders. They're, um, they're not just, at least from my experience, they're not just interested in uh, promoting their own work and themselves. They're interested uh-huh. in uh, the art of poetry and sharing with and in that uh, uh-huh. with others. Mm-hmm. I, I too want to take a page out of both of their books and um mm-hmm. and you know reply to the emails that people send me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. And you know, as you're talking about them and and that community, I know from talking to Jason Prue, who's one of the organizers of Fountainverse, that all who are invited to to have their presses represented at Fountainverse are strong examples of community building. That that's one of the values of Fountainverse, that that it's it's about people who who are doing good things, including uplifting other people. You know? so, yeah. so that's really cool. So yeah. tell tell us some about cringeworthy poets and the collective press. Well, uh in two thousand 15, late 2015, I believe it was, we uh, were like a vanity press, I guess. We just published our own chapbooks. We um, kind of, between the, the three of us, figured out how to, you know, we all brought different skills to the table, and we just started making our own chapbooks. And then mm-hmm. a local poet um, named Alan Lutnick contacted us and asked if we would publish her work. And we were like, oh, uh, we should uh, figure something out here. So we bought ISBN <laughs> numbers and, All right. and, uh, and then a friend of hers sent us a manuscript. And then uh, a kid from school that I, I was out there like, you know, pushing books. I was, you know, going to the bookstores and going to poetry readings and uh, trying to sell my own books and trying to 
like sell these other books and mm-hmm. uh, trying to get people to send us manuscripts. And then um, I want to say it was two years ago, uh, Justin Karcher sent us uh, When Severed Ears Sing You Songs, which was about, uh, it's a chapbook about the addiction in, in the Rust Belt, in any Rust Belt city, but specifically in Buffalo, because he had, um, Justin Karcher is a, a real magician when it comes to like location and um, like capturing a moment and making it important uh, mm-hmm. because moments are important. And I think that, that it's too easy to get wrapped up in the, like, you know, the, the long term instead of like being present, like mindful of right now. But uh, mm-hmm. in any event, uh, that was really a turning point. And uh, then through my connections that I made sort of in the Midwest, we were invited to come to the Kansas City Throwdown, and then we came into that. And um, I think we, we did like 20 books last year. And uh, wow. and then this year it really has exploded. Uh, uh, you know, we got on Writers and Poets. Um, we, because as a Vanity Press, the majority of our stock for our first year was our own. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, we had like last year there being, um, you know, we published a book by Katie Lewington in, I think it was Yorkfordshire, United Kingdom. I might have that wrong. Uh, I believe it was Yorkfordshire. And, uh, so some of the manuscripts we got this year have been from Canada and England and France and, um, yeah. And all over the continental United States, we started getting like orders on the website from, uh, what is it called? Alaska. I was, I was going to say the frozen state, but the, <laughs> yeah, from Alaska. <laughs> yeah, that was that was interesting because it got sent back. Like a month later, we got it back because we had missed the number on the. I shouldn't say we because I I I missed the number on the. Because uh, there was a lot of numbers on there, I didn't really understand uh-huh. when it came to mailing something. So we still like a five-digit, you know, uh, zip code. But yeah, so it just really has been a lot of uh, hard work and networking and uh, traveling around. Uh-huh. Um, right now, we got a book by Daniel Crocker. Uh-huh. I believe he's from Missouri, and um, and uh, Asno Martin, who's now a Toledo resident. That one should be the very next one. And uh, Juliet Cook, and then there's uh, there's some more, but those were names. Those are the ones I've been working on recently. So their names are like sticking out to me, but there'll be more than that uh, coming on down the road. Quite a lot of publishing you all are doing. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it really is. That's, that's very cool. So what's, what's the vibe of cringeworthy? How would you Uh, try to help people understand who you all are? hmm. Well, uh, Hmm. I can speak for like me, I guess, and like we as a a, a collective um, have been, you know, it's like ups and downs. Things don't always, you know, move as smoothly as you would like. But I think that it's been our friendship and our love for poetry that has really helped us remain focused and and move toward our common goal of uh, like keeping small press, like handmade chapbooks that art alive. I know there's a lot of uh, small press publishers across the country and probably in other parts of the world, but um, I'm sometimes amazed at all the like, small bookstores I'll go into and they don't deal in chapbooks. They're like, oh, you know, we just, we don't, um, don't have any. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's a, a real shame because, I mean, didn't City Lights books start out making chapbooks? I have old Gregory Corso. I have a copy of Gasoline from like the 1960s. It's just like a little stapled book fold. But that's how they began. And like, look at yeah. what they've done. So uh, I think it's important to keep that that art alive. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been sort of events locally and then more recently in the last couple, like, I guess I shouldn't say more recently because the first year we were really doing anything, we did travel, but, uh, you know, spreading out, like bringing, spreading the good word of like, you know, like building community. Our aim has been to publish, uh, 
first-time authors and as well as established authors. So we had uh, John Dorsey out, Guilds and Split come out uh, last year, and uh, Jake St. John from Connecticut book come out last year, and um, Victor Clevenger and um, Paul Kanicki. Clevenger's from Missouri and Kanicki's from uh, Texas. Um, we had a book from Nadia Molnisti also from Texas uh, last year. That might have actually been the year before. Sometimes it's hard. Times uh, it's the days that are long. The years fly by, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's fun to try to use the. Uh, I, I don't want to use a. I don't. I don't think "use" is the right word. But um, if we're publishing established authors and first-time authors, then the established author can help like lift up that first-time author, right? right? And uh, so people come to the website and they see, you know, they came there to buy the Dorsey book, but then they see like a cover that stands out to them. Mm -hmm. They see a name, you know, and they're like, oh, I'm going to see what this is. And then, you know, that's our aim is that we can help build everybody up. Right. Yeah. So how did you become cringeworthy? (laughs) Well, we were, uh, before we were even a press, we were like, um, you know how like slam poetry has like teams and groups and they go and like perform and compete yeah. together. Yeah. We were like looking at that and, uh, and I asked my friends, there was five of us at the time. Um, if we, you know, could we all meet? We were all in this creative writing class together. We all seemed to be pretty serious about writing. And, um, so I, kind of asked if we could all meet and we did. And I was like, Hey, what if we, uh, created like a, a group of, I guess, literary, uh, poets. And then when we like go to readings, we could like introduce ourselves as that. And then, you know, we would meet, uh, we used to meet once a week and we would give writing prompts and we would like help like workshop each other's writing. And, mm-hmm. and we, we moved away from that after, uh, you know, one of them, one of the members moved away and one of the, one of them stopped showing up. So then it was just the three of us, Misty, um, Julio and myself. And then, uh, Misty, uh, who I had my first chapbook come out, uh, with my professor at ECC. And then Julio did the same thing with the same professor. And then Misty, uh, figured out how to make one herself. And then I was like, well, why, you know, there's this book fair coming up. Why don't we, uh, why don't we like make a whole bunch of our books? And I had another manuscript ready and, uh, and we just tell them at this, uh, book fair, this, this small press book fair in Buffalo, mm-hmm. which that was actually the last year of that. But a few thousand people went through that event. Wow. We sold a lot of books. We sold, uh, you know, more than a hundred books in two days. Uh, yeah. so I guess it just started out as like us, uh, but the name came from, I, 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 I missed this part. Yeah which is actually the answer to your question was how did the name come up, right? Um, we were like sitting around like brainstorming names and uh, someone said something and Julio said, ooh, that's cringeworthy. And we were oh. all, almost all at once were like, that's it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's cool. where the name came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's you- interesting to me because I don't know if you know Todd Cirillo, and Matt Amott and Julie Villain, but their their press is called Six Foot Swells Press. It's like, okay, so where did that come from, you know? And then you start hearing, because I, 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 I'm always intrigued by the different names people have for their presses and journals and the fun yeah. stories that goes with those. Yeah. We need to hear some of your poetry. We've been talking and it's delightful and I'm realizing, oh man, we haven't heard any of your poetry yet. So okay. let's do that. I- I actually have a poem that I wrote after being in Kansas City last year. I figured that was apropos, (laughs) to use a word from my uh, reader's vocabulary. All right. This is called July Valentine. I stopped offering up silent prayers of gratitude and began to sing the song of worry until I was all out of metaphor, so I headed west in search of the nameless madcap riddle and a secret to divorce from self-pity. In the thrumming green heart of America, the blameless eagle was splayed in autopsy. In the unthinking lantern light of a Kansas City Independence Day, baptized in mirth and sober backyard campfire smoke. In the 
whiz, pop, whiz, pop, dazzle, shower of liquid fireworks, we began to outgrow fear. In, in Kansas City, they know how to celebrate independence. They know what independence means. That's cool. So, so listening to that, I'm thinking, so you were here for the throwdown, which was in April in a couple of years. And then it sounds like you were here at Independence Day some other time as well. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, there last July. And um, uh -huh. Julio Valentin's birthday is on July 4th. So uh -huh. um, the title July Valentine, Julio means nice. July Valentin. Yeah. Nice. Oh. Um, we were, uh, we read in, we read at uh, the Uptown Arts Bar and then at, um, where did we go after? I think we went to Salina afterwards. <laughs> Salina Salina's like in the middle of the state of Kansas. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So we, cool. we were, I feel like we read twice in Kansas mm -hmm. uh, or in uh, Missouri, rather. Uh, well, but I can't remember. Salina is in Kansas. Emery Dirks is one of the poets who I think of in Salina. I don't know if you met her. Um, she's a... Uh, She's a good friend of mine. I love uh, Amory very much. All right. John, All right. Are you familiar with John Epic? Um, oh, I have not met John. I'm familiar with his name, his reputation, but Emory, Emory, I have met several times. Yeah, I know her well. Yeah, cool. Oh, very cool. This, this summer after, um, after I'm done with the residency at in Osage, I'll be uh, reading, hopefully in Kansas City. That's not uh, pegged down yet. But then I was going to go spend a few days with Emery and John. Because uh, oh, John Epic's nice. actually my cousin. He's my first cousin on my father's oh, wow. side. Okay. Yeah. So you're and, uh, coming I'm, to Bell, Missouri to do a residency at the Osage Arts Community, which, of course, is, is where John Dorsey is, right? Yes. And then you're going to be doing some readings in the Midwest, including Kansas City and Salina. Uh, I don't know if we're reading in Salina. The oh, last, okay. um the last few times, because it's only like a few days, and mm -hmm. I don't know. I just want to spend time with Amory and my cousin is really mm -hmm. what, what it is. Okay. Um, but the only reading I have pegged down is in St. Louis on Sunday, the 22nd of July. I don't even know where that's at, though. Um, I believe her name is uh, – I know her name is Amanda, but I think it's Amanda Wells in uh, St. Louis has uh, been booking that. And then Jose Faust is going to come read with us. And, Jose uh, Faust and, is amazing and wonderful in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, Jose, uh, for listeners, I just want to say, Jose is a muralist and a poet and, and another one of those people who elevates other people. So beautiful, wonderful. What a, what a great person. Cool. Yeah. And Jeanette Powers is going to read at that as well. Oh, Jeanette is awesome in so, so many ways. Her visual art, her poetry, her performance, her collaboration. She's she's another one of you who is there about bringing people up. She's yes, yeah. She has done a lot of cover art for CWP. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I'm a big fan of her work and uh, and her. She. Uh, I'm looking forward to um, maybe doing some collaborations with her when I'm in Osage this uh -huh. summer. Uh huh. So. How do you make it work as somebody who is taking university classes, has to have a job to pay the income, writing poetry, doing this press, and then also at times traveling like you're doing soon to come for this residency and touring? How, how do you do all that? Well, I'm, um, I'm a sober alcoholic, which means that I'm super high-functioning crazy. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, no, Do I, that shit. That, uh, <laughs> I uh, I also when school's in session, I work three jobs as well. Oh my gosh! So, well, like, I just went from uh, like sixty to zero. School ended, and I went from working three part-time jobs and taking full-time court load and uh, and everything to just like nothing. So I was like, mm -hmm. this happens every year. And as soon as the summer hits, and then I sort of just like look around and scream, and I'm like, ah, what am I gonna do? I need to do something because mm -hmm. uh, I feel like if I'm not, uh, I'm like a shark, you know, or a or a bee, which those are very different uh, analogies. But uh, a shark in that, if I stop, uh, it dies. You know, I just mm -hmm. can't stop. I keep moving. And a bee in that, um, 
Like I'm constantly working towards something, uh-huh. right? I'm like collecting pollen to make honey. And uh, mm-hmm. if I stop collecting pollen, there's going to be no honey. And then, you know, but so I guess like, how do I do it is that I'm uh, terrible at relationships, like uh, romantic relationships. So that's not an issue. I just don't have that going on. Okay. So that's, that's always frees up a lot of time. Um, <laughs> and I, I have a lot of help, you know, I, um, I don't, I don't claim to, or believe I could do any of this on my own, uh, in order to set up the readings this summer, I talked to some people in areas and I was like, Hey, you know, could we set something up for this date? And then they went ahead and like scheduled readings. And when people call me to set up a reading in Buffalo, like I, I return that favor. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think is so great about this sort of national community yeah. of, uh, you know, like I read with Todd Cirillo, who you mentioned before from, uh, is it six foot 12? Yeah. Yeah. I read with him in Toledo and he lives in Louisiana. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. It was with John Dorsey. Yeah. And, and uh, Matthew Haynes, I think. I can't remember. I, I know Matthew was there. I feel like somebody else was there with John, but it was right when his, um, that book from Tangerine Press, I want to say, Being the Fire, that uh, beautiful um, letterpress book with the like velvet hardcover binding came out from that press in England. It's a beautiful book, Being the Fire. I believe it's Tangerine Press. Cool. So you are doing this traveling and then somehow you're making it work to come in mid-October for Fountainverse, which is during your fall semester. Yeah, I actually, um, that was, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot how, how much I had to like work for that. that uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> because I'll be, I'll be student teaching. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I had to wait until I got my placements, uh, to know where I was going to be student teaching and when, uh-huh. and there was, I have two cooperating teachers and I asked them both. I was like, Hey, sometime in October, uh, you know, like October 12th or I think it's 11th and 14th, the 12th, Friday, Friday the and 12th Monday through, yeah, through some, yeah. But you have to travel. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can't, um, teach that Friday nor that Monday. Right. And that's a lot to, uh, ask from my cooperating teacher. Uh-huh. that uh like right in the middle of this unit that mm-hmm. you know can you just take over for me for a couple of days but i know that they uh they both were like yeah and the uh, the one who it's actually going to fall during his uh cooperating teacher time with me was all about it he's like yeah that's great and so mm-hmm. was my professor who is uh like mentoring me and helping me through this process mm-hmm. um dr Pestori Capuana, she was like, that's a great idea. You know, you got to go, like, this is important stuff for uh, the English, like, you know, for teaching English is to have these experiences and to, like, bring this to your students. And, uh, you know, I'm going to make zines with my students. I want to, I have big ambitions when I have a classroom. We're going to have a magazine. We're going to, we're all going to write poetry. We're going to solve each other's problems and change the world. It's going to be great. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. You got a lot going on. So when do you write? When when do I write? Yeah, when do you write your own poetry? Uh, oof. It's gotten to be uh, less and less, but I think the quality of what I write has gotten better and better. Um, I, you know, I take voice memos on my phone while I'm driving. I walk the dog and I pull out my phone and type into my notes section. Um you know, one-liners or things that I think of, I'm thinking about. And those three jobs that I worked during the semester are, like, one is work-study and two of them is, uh, like, tutoring English. So there's a lot of downtime. Like, I, you know, I say, like, oh, I work three jobs. But really, at one of those jobs, I read Moby Dick and Last Mohicans and, like, seven other novels at work. <laughs> so, um, and then wrote a paper about Last Mohicans. Um, uh-huh. So... You know, it's a lot of downtime, and I do a lot of my own writing then, but it's uh-huh. sort of the in-between. You know, it's like scribbles in the notebook and uh, mm-hmm. or an idea that just won't go away out of my head until I just write the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would like to be more disciplined. I don't believe I'm disciplined enough. You may not be disciplined, but you're productive. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, like people. you said, you're doing a lot of stuff all the time, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we need to hear another poem of yours, you know. Oh, I have one more poem, yeah. Yeah. This um okay, how did I I'll tell you how I wrote this poem. I drove to work one day to um mentor the students at the middle college at Buffalo State uh-huh. and I saw I saw something on my ride to work that just made me smile really big. And then when I got to work I sat down and wrote this poem and I added it a little bit, but then I was like, It's done. So Yeah, I don't know if you remember last time I was on here, my uh, book, A Beggar's Prayer Book, had just come out on Night Ballet Press. And a lot of that was about mental illness and addiction (laughs) and homelessness. And then this this poem would have fit into that book, but, you know, we'll find another home for it. It's called Gray Brother. I don't recall if I ever knew his name, but we broke bread together. Where the guilty or the hopeful make soup for the loathsome. And some of them even treated us with dignity. The soup line was called Friends of Night People. The name didn't sit right with me. Still doesn't. Night People. As if the daylight was not for us. Night People. Nocturnal human scourge. The sun goes down and ali ali oxen free. The broken slink out of their hovels. The downtrodden crawl from under the city's boot heel to clean up your discarded aluminum cans. Friend from the Indo-European root meaning to love. I know there is love. Perhaps that's what compels the sweating ladle maidens to pour out their boiled compassion into single servings of salted hope. Perhaps compels the youth groups to make their monthly pilgrimages to see God's own children firsthand so they can open their young hearts, invite understanding to move in and unpack for the long stay. Look for God in the wet eyes of the veteran begging for change, pocket or otherwise. Look for God in the eyes that read the runes of the ground, cracked sidewalks, flowering weeds, glittering broken things. You have to work for it to catch even a glimpse of those darting eyes, but it's worth it. Trust me. My gray brother was one of those, brim of his oily ball cap guarding his bowl, dipping stale bread in silence. Never a word. He would walk away with his head down, reading the dead language of earth. Today, as I drove to my own troublesome blessings, I saw my grave brother walking tall in his bright yellow working man's vest, gathering fallen branches and other people's carelessness to collect them in the sturdy bed of an Olmstead Parks Department Services crusty John Deere utility vehicle in Delaware Park near White Lake. It is in the doing that we find purpose. Keep your head up, great brother. Walk tall in the morning sunlight and recognize me only as friend. That's beautiful. And the, the line that caught me early on was invite understanding to move in. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, with the, um, at the soup kitchen, friends and night people, there, it, would, it was always like youth group children. And I think that's important for them to come and get some understanding that like, uh, you know, downtrodden, so to speak, aren't just, you know, I don't know. But thank you. Yeah. I mean, that that people, and I, I agree with you that that was a poor selection of a name for a place to be encouraging people to come and get nourishment that they need. And that's typically food and social time. And so to refer to people as night people is not something that to me would be inviting <laughs> right i i agree although i love the work that they do there and yeah. if any of them by any chance happen to listen to this i'm not um i'm not ungrateful in any way and i'm yeah. not um you know saying anything flippant or backhanded about about friends of night people just that the name is not the most sensitive uh yeah yeah Wow. It'd be interesting to know about the youth that would end up there as helpers if, you know, if some of them, no doubt, really learned from that experience and some did it just because it's what they were supposed to do, but that there are seeds that are planted that are really good. You know, we look back, I, I looked back 
I went back to, I was not a student like you who went through straight through. Um, I started and stopped and started and stopped and didn't go to classes and blah, blah, blah. And eventually decided I needed to do something about that. <laughs> eventually. But when I, when I decided I was going to do something about it, it was because I wanted to pursue a master's degree in social work and to do, to apply to those kinds of programs, you have to write a, a personal statement. And so that was a time when I sort of slowed down and said, what is it? What is it in my experience that was fueling this dedication to be of service, you know? And it was a really interesting thing that even got me reflecting on very young experiences uh, with my maternal grandparents who were immigrants. And they uh, had such a commitment to helping others because they appreciated so much the life that they had been able to build in the United States. So I, I you know, I, I didn't think about that as an adult, you know, where did that come from? And it's like, oh, man, somebody's making me write about myself. So where, where did this stuff come from? And part of it goes back to my grandmother and grandfather. It's like, that's kind of cool. Anyway. Where did they immigrate from? They were Russian. They came in um, for safety as, as young, young um, children, uh, teenagers, no education, and did amazing things. Not just that, the life they built for themselves and their family, but also that commitment to helping others. Yeah. Yeah. And they made you. Yep. They they had three kids and those kids had kids and some of us had it easier than others. And <laughs> but we all do our own versions of good. <laughs> yeah. That's great. It is, yeah, it is good. It's really good. Yep. So you are out there with that goal of influencing kids and perhaps to not call people night people unless they are meaning that in a whole different way than <laughs> people who are having hard economic times and need some help with food. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I've actually been working on a project uh, with a local, uh, I guess Rochester, New York is about an hour away from Buffalo. Uh, so that's pretty local. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with local. So I've been working with this local um, collage artist uh, named uh, JJ uh, Pelahati, and she makes old school, like analog cut and paste collages. Mm-hmm. And then she scans them in her computer and sends them to me. And then I use Photoshop um, and I write these short little poems. And then I use Photoshop to put the poems on the image. Oh, and right. And we've made probably 20 of them, and they've appeared in, like, 34th Parallel Magazine and Iconoclast. And uh, I feel like some of them were somewhere else, but I can't think of can't think of it now. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's given, I'm, like, about 30 or 40 collages behind in my work uh-huh. to finish those. So that's part of what I'm going to do when I'm on my residency and, and Bell is to uh, finish working on those and hopefully when we get them all done. Um, I was speaking to Bree at least Bittern Books in uh, Tennessee. Yes, she was totally coming to my mind, Bree. Okay, so listeners who don't know Bree, let me just say this a little bit, and then we'll go back to Nathaniel. But Bree does this amazing art that is based on photographs. She photographs something that catches her eye, and then she manipulates that image into amazing art. And so she'll post... This is the finished piece. This is the image that it came from. It's yeah. so cool. And she's a writer. And and I I want to ask, did you two meet at uh, Kansas City Poetry Throwdown? Or had you known each other before that? No. Uh, actually, I met her. Um, so I was in Cleveland, and R.A. Washington uh, was there. I believe this was actually last year because we drove uh, Julio Valentino and myself uh, drove with R.A. Washington to the throwdown um, and this woman from Pennsylvania named Tracy. But we uh, we talked quite a bit in that, and I think somewhere it came up that uh, 
sort of one of my dreams, which could sadly could never happen, was uh, Green Panda Press when Bree lived in Cleveland. I have found quite a quite a few of their books, and I you know I, whenever I see them, I buy them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, by like Alex Gildon and uh, and Burroughs, and uh, so I was like, man, I would love to get one of have my work made into one of these little handmade, uh, yeah. you know. Uh, Green Panda Press books and RA was like, why don't you just message her? And I was, and she and I were already, <laughs> yeah, already friends on Facebook. And mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, that's a brilliant idea. You'd think that having uh, had such a good experience with emailing John Dorsey and writing Mae Dragon a letter, that I would have thought of that on my own. But like most good ideas, they come from they're external. <laughs> um, and so I sent her an email. Uh, or perhaps a Facebook message about like, hey, you know, I'm a big fan of Green Panda, and that's always been my dream to have one of my books, like my work made into one of those books. And uh, I was just talking to RA, just explain the whole thing. And she was like, oh, that's really sweet of you, uh, but I don't do those anymore. I do least bitter books now. And um, yeah, Charles Potts, she did a book by Charles Potts. That's another one who's really influenced me. His, his book, Golden Calf, such a great book. And then uh, something Pilgrim is the one that Lisa Bitter and Books did. But um, so then I showed her some of those collages and she liked them. And she mm-hmm. said, send me a bunch of these and, um, you know, I'll publish them. And uh, my, I want to send her enough that she can, like, omit some if she doesn't like them or, like, mm-hmm. and I'd be willing to edit them if she, she wants me to. But mm-hmm. uh, that's how I met uh, Brie beyond nice. just being Facebook friends. Because uh-huh. Facebook may connect us sort of, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we have any kind of real connection or relationship. It's just a, a friendship. It's not followed up with action. Right. A, right. You know. That is very true. Friendship does take action. It's work. Yeah. Communication. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So we have almost come to the end of this hour and there's so much stuff you know, you've got chapbooks that people need to buy. You've got this visit coming to the Midwest with the residency at Osage Arts Community in Bell, Missouri, and a bunch of performances that'll be happening as part of your coming to from Buffalo to the Midwest. And what's the best way for people to find where you are when you have those different dates and locations set? Uh, they could send me a Facebook friend request, I guess, or they could like uh, Cringeworthy Poets Collective on Facebook. Okay. So with Cringeworthy uh, on Facebook, is that a place where you will post these events so people can? Yeah. That's an easy way. Okay. Cause, yeah. And what what's the time span? You know, I, I'm – hearing that most of it's in the summer before your your teaching starts so when 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 would people be looking for you to be different places uh i believe from july 19th until the um like 27th or maybe even the end of july early august okay okay yeah so mid july early august there are some times where you'll be in cities that are far from buffalo new york that's right. Um, cool. We're looking at Indianapolis. We already did, like I said, the 22nd of July, Sunday the 22nd in St. Louis. Um, looking at Indianapolis um, outside of Michigan City in some town I'd not heard of before, so I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Toledo with Asno Martin and um, and Cleveland, uh, probably a Guide to Culture books, uh, Rafiq's place, R.A. Washington's place. All right. So lots of cool things going on. And then you'll be back again for the Kansas City's Fountain Verse Small Press and Poetry Fest, which is October 12th through 14th. That's right. Yeah, cool stuff going on. So, folks, my reminder is always buy the books, you know, buy them from the writer when you can, from the small press. If you can't get them those two ways, then ask your local independent bookseller to order it for you. Do all that before you hit the online stuff. And buying the books is part of what allows those poets to be able to pay the gas, etc. So they're able to come places and do readings. 
you know, it's it's really important to show that we value this and and purchases are one of the ways we can do that. As other people have said, you know, if you come to Fountainverse, so buy a poet or two a beer, man. Do what you know, whatever it is. Buy them a beverage, buy them a meal, you know, if you're not <laughs> buying a book, do something, you know. There there may be merch for sale that that supports that particular writer who's work has just bowled you over, you know, that's important for us to show that, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned friendship takes action. And I think that's action is also how we show what's important to us. And, and, and poetry and art is, is truly life-saving. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. I had a really good time. It's been great. Listeners, I know you enjoyed it. And we also get to thank Daniel Smith, who produces the show, for letting people hear it. Thank you, Daniel, for the recording and the stuff and the uploading and making it available to people. So listeners, make sure you check out Talk With Me. Make sure you check out Kansas City Fountainverse. If you are in this area of Kansas City area or can be here in mid-October, you will be glad that you did. So thanks. Indeed.